each to make sure the music matches and the order matches. And so they do a great job. And I'm just so thankful for the worship team that we have. So um, they're fabulous. And it seems like it's ever expanding, which is really cool too. Pretty soon it'll be a choir, a rock and roll choir. My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. And this week, the title of the message is Secretly Discouraged. And it's interesting because the passage today is about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And matter of fact, let's just look at the passage. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me tell you why I've titled it Secretly Discouraged. Throughout my Christian life, I would read this passage or hear it taught that if I just seeked God's kingdom and seeked his righteousness, I would get the blessings and provisions that I need. And honestly, because even though I was in ministry and a pastor or whatever, it was always very heavy. It was always very discouraging. In fact, I was certain at some point I would starve naked in the parking lot somewhere at whatever church I was a part of because I was constantly failing to find righteousness in my own life. I was constantly failing to have a mindset that always, from my perspective, sought first the kingdom of God in everything you do. How do you seek the kingdom of God when you want to cuss at the buccaneers for not being able to tackle anyone? Right? How do you seek the kingdom of God when the order at the restaurant comes cold and late and wrong? How do you seek the kingdom of God when you're driving down 41 during snowbird season and people are cutting you off left and right and don't even see you? Not that any of you would ever do that. Our snowbirds drive great. I'm talking about other snowbirds and other churches. <clears throat> so I'd hear this phrase, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then you'll get all the things you need. And I'm just, I'm just being vulnerable with you. I'm trying to be real here with you. As a pastor, I honestly felt a little hopeless. Because I suck at seeking the kingdom of God. I suck at righteousness. I'm not good at it at all. So question then, what is the kingdom of God? How do I even find it on earth? Look at this place. It's terrible. How do I know when I have found it and how do I keep it? How, what happens if I find it and then wander back out of the kingdom of God? Are there street signs? Is there a gate to keep me in once I get in? Be honest. Now, just be real with me. Haven't you spent, some of you at least, most of your life intimidated by this passage? And then there's some who teach it totally the wrong way, the obscenity of what we call the prosperity gospel. And tons of TV preachers preach this. I was watching one last week when I took the week off. It's amazingly offensive to truth. Seek first the kingdom of God and you'll have everything you need. You'll never want for nothing. Think about all the believers in the world since Christ until now who have lacked things they needed for the body. Who have been persecuted. Who have starved. 
who've been naked, who've been afraid. So clearly we know that's not the right teaching because that makes Jesus a liar. And he's not. Now remember, we have proven throughout our study of Matthew here that the whole goal that Matthew is communicating here is to convince Jewish people to embrace Jesus as that Messiah they had been waiting for. They had been waiting for a military king to come back and restore the kingdom of Solomon and the greatness of the kingdom of David. And Matthew was saying, no, that's not what God's will was. And all these teachings in Matthew are, are not isolated. They're all one. And then we come to Matthew 6, and a lot of people seem to teach Matthew 6 in a bunch of different places. There's the Lord's Prayer. There's the part about not worrying about tomorrow. There's the part about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, and God takes care of them. Then there's the part about fasting. When you fast, make sure you do it in a way that other people don't see it. And there's the part about praying. When you pray, don't pray out loud like the Pharisees. Pray in your closet. Then he says another part, don't try to be righteous because unless you're Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're going to be a failure. So we have all these little pericopes, all these little teaching areas in Matthew that most of the time are taught separately. And I made a discovery in the last couple weeks. You can't do that with Matthew 6. Every one of these teachings in Matthew 6 are founded upon another. And they build a case. And they all culminate with, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that takes Matthew chapter 6, 33 and 34 and changes the whole perspective. And this week, I'm just, I'm just being real with you. For the first time in my life, this week, this passage no longer discouraged me. It no longer intimidated me because I learned something new. So let's do a list of summary of things that Matthew chapter 6 teaches, just really quick. So basically what he's doing is he's teaching that temple religion and hope for the restoration of the kingdom of David and Solomon are not what you should be looking for. Let's give an example. In the first part of Matthew, he says, don't try to make your righteousness designed to be seen like the Pharisees that you admire so much. Here's what he says. Beware of practicing your own righteousness before other people in order to be seen. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Don't try to be righteous like in the temple. And the next thing he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Pray for God's kingdom and his will and not your own. Right before this, Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he mentions praying for the kingdom to come. He says, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not David's, not Solomon's. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And what Jesus is teaching there in that prayer is that restoration of the earthly kingdom of David and Solomon, which the Jews were hoping for, was not his will. It was what they wanted. They took the promise and they manipulated it and twisted it into something that it was not supposed to be. <clears throat> this is directly tied to what he says later in the chapter about seeking first the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of David, not the kingdom of Solomon, 
but the kingdom of God. The next thing we see in Matthew 6, don't focus on earthly kingdom stuff. Don't amass the things needed for an earthly kingdom, for those just rust and get stolen. In verses 19 to 23, this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves cannot break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't this what happened to the riches and the things of David and Solomon? They were taken away by conquering nations, by heathen nations. They were corrupted. They rusted. And what Jesus is teaching there is don't be consumed with the here and now, but look at treasures to come. Treasures from where? What kingdom? The kingdom of God. Then another thing he teaches, and we got to go through this because you have to understand this foundation before we get to what we're really talking about today. The next one is don't serve two kings. He says, and don't, don't serve two masters in verse 24. Here's what he says. No one can serve two masters, if you will, two kings, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What that passage is talking about again is, is Jesus saying, don't look for the earthly king. Look for the heavenly king. Because if your devotion, if your passion, if your drive in life is to reestablish re and fulfill the kingdom of Solomon, the kingdom of David, you're going to hate everything that the kingdom of God stands for. They are totally opposite in their goals, in their directions, in their values. Then the last one, where it really starts to get fun for me this week as I was studying this. Don't be consumed by effort. A little bit longer passage. Listen carefully. Verses 26 to 32. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They don't farm. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the, consider the lilies and the flowers of the field, how they grow. They don't work. They don't toil. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, and here he kind of rips on the kingdom of Solomon. You see this? I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like any one of these. But if God will clothe the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye that are without faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need for them all. Why does he talk about Solomon and the lilies of the field? Because he's continuing the message, stop looking for the earthly kingdom. Even Solomon with all his riches, and by the way, I think I've explained this to you in the past, the kingdom of Solomon, after David died and his son Solomon took over, it was the wealthiest kingdom, perhaps, in the history of the world. It was the central focus of wisdom in all the world. It was certainly the height of power and influence of the Jewish people. 
And what Matthew is saying is even in Solomon's glory, it's nothing compared to what God's kingdom does for the lilies. He's saying Solomon's kingdom is nothing. Okay, so why the lilies of the field? Because they aren't consumed with effort and striving. They just receive. You follow that picture? We're talking about how do we pursue the kingdom of God? How do we pursue his righteousness? The lilies don't pursue righteousness. They just receive grace. You know what grace is, right? Undeserved favor. Not earned favor, undeserved. Okay, so we've laid that foundation for you. Why was this all important? Because Matthew is trying to convince Jewish readers that they, first of all, had the wrong kingdom in their hearts. Second of all, that the kingdom of God was much greater than the worldly empire they wanted to see reinstated. They were too obsessed with earth. They were too obsessed with day-to-day. They needed to move on from their obsession with a worldly hope of a great Jewish nation-state and move on to an eternal hope that they placed before in Jewish righteousness. They needed to replace it that hope in Jesus. They needed to get rid of this earthly hope and move to an eternal hope connected with the kingdom of God. And then they had to turn their back on the temple. All throughout Matthew 6, he says, stop trying to be like the temple experts. Stop trying to be so righteous. Because you've got to do an even better job than those righteousness experts to even have a prayer. Stop. Stop being obsessed with effort. Turn your back on the kingdom of Solomon. Turn your back on the righteousness of the temple and turn your eyes toward Jesus. Look full on his face. And as the hymn says, the things of earth will start to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You think, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is about your own righteousness? I did. You know, later on, Jesus says, all right, you think it's about your righteousness? Here's what I'm going to tell you. And this is in the same sermon. He says, if you look at something you're not supposed to, pluck your eye out, because it's better to have one eye than to not be righteous enough. If that's, your, if that's your role, to try to be righteous, that's it. Remember what he said about the hand? If your right hand makes you sin, cut it off. You're better to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one hand than with two and, and not be righteous enough. Remember else he said? He said he would destroy that temple and rebuild it again in three days. Remember he said that? The whole concept of the message is forget about Solomon, forget about David, forget about the Pharisees, and look to me. Guys, that's why he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The burden of trying to reestablish the kingdom of Solomon and the burden of trying to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the temple 
was way too heavy for a human to bear. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you people, talking about the Pharisees, you heap burdens, religious burdens, on people's shoulders that you yourselves cannot even bear. And he says, you are like dead men's bones in whitewashed tombs. Wow. Jesus hated temple righteousness, didn't he? What is it easier to do if you are a Jew? Bring in the restoration of the kingdom of David and Solomon or trust in the work of Messiah Christ to be a part of God's kingdom? That's the easy yoke. That's the easy burden. So we know what the passage is not about. It's not about having enough to eat. It's not having about, about having enough to wear. It's not about having a place to sleep. It's not about somehow finding the kingdom of God and unlocking the secret to riches in your life. It's not about trying really hard to be righteous. In fact, Jesus is saying, don't even bother unless you can be better than the experts. That's why he talked about the birds and the lilies. They don't try. They just get cared for by heavenly dad with no effort on their own. No, no, no. It's not about anything like that. It's about trusting. See, let me explain it to you. It's not about you. Here's what I learned this week. It's not about me. It's not about what you find seeking the kingdom of God. It's not about what you do. Be righteous. It's not about that. It's about his righteousness. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? Whose righteousness? His righteousness, which the scripture clearly teaches is imputed to you, which is given to you through the work on the cross. It's about his righteousness imputed to you. It's about his kingdom given to you. It's about his will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven when your kingdom comes. It's about his will on heaven, in heaven and on earth. It's not about yours. It's about realizing that righteousness and the kingdom of God are not things you can strive for. They are things given by his grace. Had a conversation with a friend this week. It really impacted me as I was going through this whole process. We were talking about prayer. We're talking about sometimes I feel like if I don't pray enough that I might let down the people that I'm praying for. And it really impacted me when we had this conversation. And I shared with them what I was learning this week. What I learned this week is it's not about that. Grace is given, not earned. Answers to prayer are given, not earned. It's about realizing that it's about trust. So, I and you don't have to be intimidated by this passage anymore. Guys, listen, we don't have to be intimidated by this tremendously ethereal level of righteousness that we must achieve to get all the things added. That's not what the passage is about. 
Matter of fact, the passage is saying, forget all the trying and move over to trusting. So I don't have to be intimidated by that passage anymore. Now that passage went from discouraging and intimidating because I knew how far I fell short secretly in ways that you guys have no clue. And now I recognize that that passage is hopeful. The kingdom I seek is not my own. The righteousness I seek is not my own. They are His, imputed to me, put upon me, put upon you. I have decided that I'm going to be like the lilies. I've decided I'm going to be like the birds. I'm going to let God clothe me in his righteousness. I'm going to let God say, Joe, stop trying. I got you. The work on the cross, it makes you righteous. That righteousness you're seeking, it sought you first. That kingdom you're seeking, it sought you first. Now that passage is no longer discouraging to me. It's encouraging. It's hopeful. And I'm clothed in the best righteousness anyone could ever, ever achieve. Friends, this is the Feast of the King. It's a feast of the King, and you are invited to the Lord's table. We're invited not because we have worked hard and earned God's favor. We're invited because of what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. He has given us this bread. He has offered us this cup so that we might receive it as a gift. Grace, pure grace, and be strengthened to be subjects of the King. So as we prepare to come to the table, Let us pray together. Oh God, by the work of your Holy Spirit, pour out your power upon us that we may receive your kingdom, that we may live in your righteousness by your work. May these common elements, this bread and this cup, be for us nourishment as joyful subjects of the King to whose feast we are invited.